poppin' the Christian bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by independent financial planner Adam Peak. Join us as we provide commentary at the intersection of culture, tech, and faith. Betty White is still alive. They find rust on the moon. There's a lot of movies scheduled to come out finally in 2021, including Godzilla vs. Kong, Spotify in your car, two Apple Watch stories, and somebody piloted a flight in Microsoft Flight Simulator while sitting on the same flight in real life. And finally, should image matter to us at all as Christians? All this and more coming up on today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Cultured Christian Podcast. This is episode 28, and I am so glad that you're here listening with me to this podcast. It is still 2021, folks. We are all still here, and uh, the sun's shining, at least today where I'm at, and I hope it's shining at least for part of the day where you're at. And just a reminder that things are still happening. And so we're going to dive right into the content today because as uh, the last few episodes, this is a full one. There is a ton of culture, tech, and faith to talk about. And so we're going to dive right in with Betty White. How many of you guys remember Golden Girls? Growing up, I was uh, every Saturday night, just about every Saturday night as a young boy, I was at my grandmother's house. I would stay overnight there and go to church and it was, again, looking back, one of the fondest childhood memories was waking up to the smell of uh, her pancakes and sausage and just going to church and just experiencing that. It was a very, very positive part of my childhood. And one of the things we would do Saturday evening was watch Golden Girls. And so if you didn't get uh, a chance to watch that growing up, I know there's some younger listeners out there. You need to find that on YouTube and watch at least one episode back when sitcoms were, you know, with commercials about 20 minutes long, 25 minutes long. And so anyways, that's how I got to know Betty White. That's back when she was just a sweet old lady on the uh, Golden Girls show, and it's funny now because when I think about my life all the way back to when I was a little boy, she's always been an old lady. She's always been that senior with with uh, silver hair or white hair, and so I just read an article that last month she celebrated her 99th birthday. She is one year away from 100 years old, and she is still uh, still doing well, still has her humor going. She celebrated, according to this article, by eating a hot dog and feeding her favorite ducks. And so she is alive and well. And if you've been around social media for the last, I don't know, five, six years, there's always kind of this little undercurrent um, fake news that kind of pops up, if you will, every now and then that Betty White has died and people freak out, you know, it's one of those barometers as to how things are going in the world. And it's like, I think I remember somebody's tweeting or sending out a meme in 2020. It's like, well, it's been a terrible year, but at least Betty White is still alive. And so, um, so yeah, so we're starting that, uh, this episode off with just a little bit of fun that yeah, Betty White's still alive. We're still alive. It's 2021. And uh, yeah, there things could be worse, right? There things could always, always be worse. Uh, next up in our culture section, they found 
they, they seem to continue to find new things on the moon. And I don't know if you knew this, but they found rust on the moon. Just right above us, every night you see that glowing spear in the sky, and they found some rust on it. Crazy. Now, if you're like me, you may be saying, how can this happen? How in the world is there rust on the moon, which has very little air and very little water? See, back in 2008, there was a discovery that there was water on the moon, right? So that, that's one of the first ingredients. There was the presence of water molecules. And according to the researchers uh, at Hawaii Institute of Geophysics and Planetology, working with NASA, here's the hypothesis, okay? They think that the rust, I'm going to read from the article here, the rust was more focused on the side of the moon that faces the Earth's surface. Since the Earth has been a benefactor of the magnetic field, it is said that solar wind helps in stretching the bubble further, creating a long magnetic tail. So to be precise, the moon then enters this tail, this magnetic field from the Earth, within three days and right before the time when the moon comes in its fullest form. The process takes about six days from the time it enters and exits the trail. Within these six days, the Earth's magnetic trail then covers the surface of the moon with electrons. It's likely to say, it is likely to say strange things can take place during this phase. The probability is you might find moon dust flying into a dust storm or dust particles from the moon's surface may float off from the ground, predicts NASA. So according to the hypothesis, it is also possible that the lunar hematite, I think is how you say that, H-E-M-A-T-I-T-E, -E, might have been formed via the oxidation of the lunar surface, iron, from then Earth's topmost atmosphere. Crazy. So they're thinking that basically Earth is getting close enough and our atmosphere is creating this rust on at least one side of the moon. Uh, what an interesting story. So many things about space just fascinate me, and, and that is yet another one, to think about rust on the moon uh, along with water. Crazy times we live in. All right, for those of you with Disney Plus uh, subscriptions, how many of you have watched this show, WandaVision? Now, it's one of those things that I hadn't heard anything about. I, I may have missed a conversation with a friend, but I feel like I had no idea about this show. And so, like a lot of Friday nights, I'm sitting there flipping through the different apps trying to find something new. And, and the ad pops up for a new Marvel uh, TV show called WandaVision. And I'm like, okay, I have no idea what the term WandaVision. So I watched the... The trailer for it and I'm like yeah I literally skipped it and was like I'm not gonna watch it and then I mentioned it to a, a few friend of mine's and they said yeah it starts out slow but about the third episode it kicks into gear and makes sense and so I'm like uh. so I went on there and I watched uh, the first three episodes and I have to say again being a Marvel fan uh, there's few Marvel films that I don't like uh, I'm not a fan of WandaVision, man. It was definitely, as my friend said, a slow start. Um, and I get, and this isn't really giving anything away um, that you wouldn't find on the internet, but each episode 
of WandaVision is tracking this couple, Wanda and Vision, hence the name, which took me a while to get. I know uh, I've got I've got a little bit of learning to do, I guess. But um, it takes place in a different decade. So they're kind of moving up through the decades. And so it starts out in like the 50s and then goes to the 60s. And the third episode uh, where I stopped is uh, in the 70s. And so. I don't know. I could have kept with it, but I don't think I'm going further. I just felt like it was kind of kind of blah. And so not uh, not as engaging as the uh, Marvel movies, for sure. So for those of you who have seen uh, WandaVision, do you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? What what's your take on it? Let us know uh, what you think about WandaVision if you've checked it out. All right, speaking of Marvel, 2021 is going to make up and then some for all the movies we missed in the year 2020 because of this freaking pandemic that's still hanging on. And RollingStone.com, the magazine, Rolling Stone magazine, uh, came out with this article, 50 Most Anticipated Movies of 2021. They listed 50 movies that are coming out this year, and I am a huge movie guy, and I'm super excited to get back into the movie theater specifically, uh, but I guess a lot of these are going to be released on streaming services as well, so they're kind of trying to do a little bit of both, you know, putting one foot in the theaters and one foot in streaming, so that'll be interesting to see how that turns out and if places like uh, AMC are going to reopen or are going to go bust. But I want to share with you my top 10 picks from this list of 50. So I pared it down to my top um, 10 uh, movies that I'm looking forward to from this list in 2021. The first one is actually already out. It's called The Little Things. I guess it's about a serial killer uh, back in the 1990s. And so this one has Denzel Washington and I'm forgetting his name from, uh, let's see here, what Jared Leto or Leto, depending on how you pronounce that. But um, yeah, so that one's already out. It's got mixed reviews. I've heard some good things. I've also heard some bad things. So I'm interested to hear uh, my mom and niece are actually going to see it this weekend. So I'm going to lean into their review and kind of see if it's something I want to check out. But uh, yeah, it looks good. Obviously great actors, so it should be pretty good. Second one on my list of 10 movies coming out in 2021 is coming out in about a month from now, Coming to America 2. So Coming to America, the number two is in between there, Coming to America. And this one's going to be released on Amazon Prime. So if you're an Amazon Prime member, you're going to have access to this without spending a dime. And so I watched the trailer uh, yesterday. It looks great. It has all of the same characters. It connects uh, very much to the previous movie, which it's been, gosh, I should have looked this up, but it's been a number of years since this movie came out. And, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy's one of those guys that, man, he just looks, some of these shots of him, he looks like he hasn't aged a bit. And that's crazy when you think about, gosh, it has to be 20 or more years since the first one came out, probably 30 years. Um, so, yeah, so that's coming out. It looks great. That's coming out March 5th. And then we have the Marvel movie, Black Widow. She gets her own movie on May the 7th. And I'm excited for this one, not necessarily because I'm a Black Widow fan and her storyline and all that stuff. But I am a huge Scarlett Johansson fan, okay? Just a little little celebrity crush here, I'll tell you. 
Some of you already know this, but she's always been my celebrity crush. In fact, last night, late last night, I was watching only because it was free again on Prime, I believe. But I watched Lost in Translation with her and Bill Murray. Great film uh, set in Japan. It's, again, Scarlet. So there's so many things. I love Bill Murray. There's just so many elements of it um, that draw me in. But yeah, Black Widow's coming out if you're a Black Widow fan or a Scarlet fan. Uh, it's great to have an actual like full-on Marvel movie coming out in 2021. So super excited about that. And then there is this movie that is another one that's a sequel that you kind of thought would never happen, but it did. Top Gun Maverick is coming. I hope you've seen the preview. If you haven't seen the trailer for this movie, you need to stop, hit pause right now and go watch that because it's awesome. It's just like coming to America in the sense that all the characters are there. The same song, you know, that that killer song, that opening song and the jets just flying super close to the ground and going everywhere. It just looks super, super awesome. And so that's coming out in July, July 2nd, right for the July 4th holiday. So that's going to be a killer movie. Super excited about that. And then we have a movie called Old, which is, you know, classic, but we don't know a lot of information other than it's a horror film, and it's going to be by M. Night Shyamalan. I'm deliberately mispronouncing that. Shyamalan, Shyamalan. Um, but he, again, is known for tons of movies. Definitely, I think the one everybody knows is The Sixth Sense. Um, the Village is another good one. He's got a bunch of moves, movies. Um, so that's going to be killer because he's a great director. Actually, I shouldn't say that's for sure going to be a good movie because he's had a few he's had a few flops. So old might be a flop, but definitely going to give it a try. And that's coming out the end of July. And then we have another uh, new movie called Bios. And this one uh, headlines Tom Hanks. And according to the article, it says that he... The world has suffered a massive cataclysmic event, and this robotics expert has lived in a bunker underground with only his faithful dog at his side. Our hero is dying. However, he constructs a mechanical companion and then takes his newfound friend and a pet on a journey through the post-apocalyptic wasteland to teach the android how to be nurturing before the time runs out. And so that, again, I love science fiction. I love post-apocalyptic. I like Tom Hanks. So there's a lot of ingredients there that make me think it's going to be a great movie. Speaking of post-apocalyptic, the next one on my list of 10 movies coming out this year that I want to see is A Quiet Place Part 2. Do you guys remember uh, John Cran... Man, I've had the names today. Uh, Krasinski, John Krasinski. Gosh, why can't I pronounce that? Do you remember his movie with uh, his wife and two kids, and they're in a world where these monsters exist, and they have to walk around and be super quiet, otherwise these things hear them. And So it's kind of, again, set in that post-apocalyptic world, a little bit of horror, jump scare kind of thing, but that looks good. And then we arrive at... My favorite film that's coming out, the top one that I'm looking forward to. It's it's kind. I was gonna say it's tied with one other that's coming up that I haven't shared yet, but I think this one is just a little bit ahead of it, and that is Dune. Dune is coming out. You've heard us talk about Dune on this podcast before when the trailer was released, but I am super excited for this remake of Dune. 
and it's got Timothy Chalamet in it. It's going to be a killer movie. It looks so good. Again, three in a row here that are post-apocalyptic science fiction. If you're into those kind of films, this is a great year. There's a lot of good movies coming out. Uh, the next one on my list is Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is coming out. It's uh, If you remember, the last one was kind of like the female. I call it the female one. It was like a all-female cast, and they kind of re rebranded it if you will and it was a huge flop and I didn't see it I heard it was terrible so I was just like eh but they're trying again and it looks like the um Jason Raitman picks up this horror comedy horror comedy action series I guess is what they're calling it but it's got the kid from Stranger Things in it and just watching the um the preview, the trailer to this, it looks really, really good, and it's definitely leaning into that 80s film, you know, again, Stranger Things phenomenon, so if you're an 80s kid uh, or appreciate the 80s, Ghostbusters coming out in November is going to be one that you're going to want to see. And then finally, we top my list off with uh, a film that's coming out, at least right now. It's one of those ones that's moved around a lot, had a lot of... Um, uh, lore with it or a lot of uh, rumors let's say and so the matrix 4 is coming out at the end of 2021 what they thought was never going to happen is happening folks the trilogy is now being made into what do you call a movie a quadrility where it has four films and so i am a huge matrix fan this is the one that i said almost tied with dune for my most anticipated movie of the year but uh it's yeah i love it i'm i'm a little bit afraid that they will ruin it so that's why i'm i have a little tension with it because i love the trilogy so much i had the 10 dvd blu-ray set with so much behind the scenes and how they film things and just oh i love the metaphor of the matrix um if you ever come to where i live my house i've always had my internet wi-fi is the matrix that's what i call uh the wi-fi at my house and so huge matrix fan and i hope they don't screw this over with the fourth film but uh, yeah, so there is a great list. Go check out the Rolling Stone. The link, of course, will be in our show notes. 50 films probably, again, is not exhaustive. There is more coming out this year, but the Rolling Stone put together a pretty dang good list to check out. And there is my 10 picks of movies coming out in 2021, hopefully in theaters. All right, so there's one movie that I didn't mention. So you're getting a plus one, folks. It was not on my list, but there was a trailer that dropped this week for Godzilla versus Kong, and this is coming out on HBO Max as well as in theaters on March 26th. So again, just a little over a month from now, you'll be able to see that. And so check out the trailer. It's one of those films that I don't think is going to win any Oscars, but it just looks like a fun film to go with your big bucket of popcorn and just watch a fun action film and just kind of disconnect from the world, a nice little escape. And so that's that kind of film. If you're into action films, if you saw Kong, I really enjoyed the Kong films. Um, I'm not much of a Godzilla fan, but I think this one's got uh, some good ingredients in it. So check that out. Check out that trailer and see if it's one you're going to want to see in March. Wrapping up our culture section this week, I had to 
give you an update and comment on Ready Player Two. I finished the book uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, yeah, I think it's where I'm going to land with it is it's a great read, good to great read. I recommend it. Check it out. And I think if you like the first one, the book or the movie, you're very much going to like the second one. It's not earth shatteringly better or different or worse. It's just kind of the same exact story in in a lot of ways so if you like the first one you're very much going to like the sequel and i definitely see this becoming a movie i think they would be stupid if they didn't turn it into a movie and they're probably already working on that and filming that for 2022 but um yeah so if you were into ready player one check out ready player two a lot of people that i chat with don't realize that it's out so i don't know if they're not spending any money on advertising but Ready Player Two, check it out in book form. First up in our tech section this week, we are chatting about Spotify, the world's largest music streaming platform. And going back to May 2019, so almost two years now, uh, Spotify announced that it would be launching a device to put in your car basically it's going to be similar to amazon's uh auto device or echo auto amazon auto i think is what it's called i had it for a while basically it's something that'll connect to your car's uh, head unit and your phone and act as kind of an in-between device that allows you with microphones to talk to it and instead of picking up your phone and saying, you know, play this music, play Rolling Stones or whatever music you listen to, you're just going to be able to say it. You're going to be able to talk to this uh, Spotify device. And I assume it will also have it shows in this article on The Verge uh, a little window that you can see the song that's playing and how much more time is left in the song, that kind of thing. And so it looks like now it's moving forward. They ha had a uh, FCC filing. It's uh, said to be powered by a 12-volt outlet, so you can plug it into your car's 12-volt cigarette lighter, which is kind of funny when you think about it, that we still have that kind of uh, the old cigarette lighter charging device. That's not been upgraded, even though most people don't use cigarette chargers. I don't even know if the younger generations remember that, how they would light a cigarette in a car but anyways so this is coming out uh hopefully soon there is no release date because it's just an fcc filing and we have some spy photos on this article but for those of you who listen to spotify often uh in your car is this something you think you would buy i mean it's probably going to be priced i would imagine around 30 40 dollars do you need this? Is this something in addition to your phone, or are you just going to continue to stream Spotify through your phone, through Bluetooth or an auxiliary cable? Do you want to have something that you could just talk to it and have the music start playing? I know that's super convenient in my house with the Echo devices to just talk to uh, a certain woman who I will not say her name now because she would turn on right next to my computer. But um, be just being able to call out whatever kind of music or whatever artist you want to hear in your home and it starts playing in a decently sounding speaker is pretty stinking cool. So I don't know. It, I think this is one of those I'd have to wait and see as people review it if it's really worth uh, worth the amount that they're going to charge for it. I think if it's anything over $30, not even going to look at it because that's just not worth it. So yeah, Spotify.
Now, I've often been quoted as saying that technology, the best technology, is the kind of technology that saves or improves people's lives. I mean, that it's hard to argue with that, right? Like, it's cool to have all this tech for entertainment purposes, but when you actually see a connection between a tech device saving someone's life or improving someone's life uh, or well-being, it's incredible. It's awesome. The best use, bar none, of technology. And so these next two stories are related to the Apple Watch and how they have literally saved or improved people's lives. And so this article comes from last month in uh, 9 to 5 Mac, where an Apple Watch is credited with saving the life of a cyclist who has he fell and was swept into a flooded river and just like you kind of would think in a movie it sounds like this guy went about a mile down the river and grasped the hold of a tree branch and was hanging there holding on to the tree branch talking to his watch which i assume uh i mean they don't really say in the article but it might have been the the uh, cellular watch because I don't know if his phone underwater would have been able to make the call, but somehow his Apple watch, he calls emergency services and tells them what happened and he needs help. And then 15 minutes later, the fire department shows up and rescues this guy right out of this flooded river. And what a cool story, right? Because he just, you know, was able to do that because he had an Apple Watch on. People wouldn't have seen him or known that he uh, went down that river. And who knows, you know, where it, what would have happened if he wasn't able to to reach out. So I think that's a great use, again, of the Apple Watch. And if you have one, you know that it can also detect a fall. There are uh, ways that you can have it already call emergency services. You can kind of have like a fast way for it to uh, send out an SOS call to your loved ones, to people that you have selected as uh, people that you want to notify if you're in a uh, bad situation. So they've really designed the Apple Watch well to be that not just a fun device that tells time, but one that can help you. Uh, and it's increasingly becoming a health device. And that's heading into the second story uh, from AppleInsider.com, where the Apple Watch, they say, may be able to detect coronavirus infection days before the test can. So it's crazy again, but some of these studies that they did at Mount Sinai uh, analyze the variation in time between heartbeats, a metric known as heart rate variability. Researchers, researchers say it's a good measure of how a person's immune system is working. And this is a quote from the article. It says, we already knew that heart rate variability markers change as inflammation develops in the body, but COVID is an incredibly inflammatory event. It allows us to predict that people are infected before they know it, said Rob Hurton, the author of the study and an assistant professor of medicine uh, at Mount Sinai there. So, wow, the Apple Watch. They're, they're, this is a medical study, so not just some random thing, is seeing that, yeah, things like uh, coronavirus, when your immune system spikes, they see that in their data. They see this data connection uh, in the Apple Watch, um, the Apple Watch results. And that's just super cool when you think about it, that this thing could say, you know, as they refine it, could at least tell people, just like with the heart rate, um, the heart rate stuff that they have on there, the e e 
not EKG, e ECG, one of the two things that it does with your Apple Watch. Um, it's never going to diagnose you, but it's basically going to say, hey, you might want to see your doctor about this. And so I think that's a good place for the Apple Watch to be right now. It's not an FDA like here's, you know, you have this or it's, you know, diagnosing you with something. But the data that it's reading your heart rate all day long and doing the blood oxygen level and, you know, these different things that it's able to do, it can alert you and say, hey, you might want to have this checked out. And so with coronavirus and gosh, I don't know, the new future that we're living in, we may see more of these things come around. And wouldn't it be great if everybody had something on their wrist that was able to say, hey, yeah, you may not feel any symptoms, but you probably have uh, something going on inside of you because of the statistics that the watch is seeing. Good stuff coming out of Apple Watch. I'm definitely a proud owner of an Apple Watch and appreciate all the ways that it helps my health. All right, so technology is great when it improves and saves lives, but there's also some amazing, ridiculous things that people do with technology, which is also pretty stinking cool. And that's this story, our final story in tech here, which is someone piloted a flight in Microsoft Flight Simulator while sitting on the same flight in real life. So there's this guy, Rami Ismail. He is a video game developer. He brought a laptop with him with Microsoft Flight Simulator. And best I can understand in this new version of Microsoft Flight Simulator, you can basically fly a flight that is happening in real time, like be on the flight on your computer. And the way that the new, the new flight simulator works is it syncs the time of day, weather patterns, even cloud patterns uh, with the game. And so he wanted to see how accurate it was with what he was looking outside of the window. And there is a tweet uh, thread, a Twitter thread that you can find in the article that we're going to have in the show notes where he basically shows you the computer screen and then he shows you outside the window. And in real time, it's pretty much what you see like both both are in sync and there's only one time i guess in the whole flight according to the article that he was um you know four minutes behind or something there was a period of time where it was out of sync but for the most part it was in sync down to the clouds in the you know the landmarks and stuff that he was flying through uh on the flight as well as in the game and so what a ridiculous but yet awesome thing that you can do that you didn't know you could do or need to do, but maybe that's another reason to um, go buy Microsoft Flight Simulator is the next time you're on a flight now, you can do the flight in Microsoft and in the real world. So I don't know. That's uh, pretty interesting, but definitely, uh, definitely a cool thing to check out on Twitter if you haven't seen that story. As featured on episode 22, our podcast sponsor is Adam Peak, my friend and independent financial planner. Are you concerned that you aren't doing enough for retirement? Have you always wondered if you're missing out on the retirement plan offered through work? Reach out to Adam to help find the answers to these questions. You can reach Adam through multiple channels by going to adampeak.com. That's adampeak with an A.com. 
Securities offered through Sigma Financial Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. Adam Peak, 300 Parkland Plaza, Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48116, phone number 810-522-8169, or acpeak at sigmarep.com. Heading into our face section this week, we are going to talk about a topic that came out of an Instagram uh, photo that I saw, kind of a, a quote, if you will, that just struck me, and I shared it on my Instagram page. But before we get there, I want to start with a question that will frame our discussion today, and that is this. Should image matter to us at all as Christians? Should image matter to us at all? As Christians. Now, before I kind of extrapolate this out and go somewhere, I want you to just answer that question for yourself. Like, before we dive in, what do you think? Do you think image should matter? Is there a place for your image? When I started this topic, I thought about a time. I'm going to get real authentic today. I'm going to dig deep and share something from probably three, four years ago now that I was interviewing for a job at a church and I was applying for kind of a job that wasn't in my um, past in the sense that I, you know, most of my career has been as a youth worker, working in churches with students. And I had been trying at least uh, some of the applications. I was trying to get in a different job path, still related to church or nonprofits, uh, but, you know, kind of moving in a new direction. I was trying this out, if you will, to move in a new direction. And so I had about three interviews with the church and I was moving for, uh, again, this, po- this specific position at the church. And so I had three interviews and I thought it was going stellar. I mean, three interviews, right? Like that's a good sign. You're you're in the process. You're narrowed down from something like, I don't know, 70 applicants down to a handful. And you made it too close to, I think, the end. The process was coming close to the end. And uh, I got that email. The email no one wants to get, but I'm I'm thankful I got an email because sometimes you just get ghosted or whatever. But I got the email that they decided not to move forward with me. As an Enneagram one, I took that very personally, and and I always hate rejection. I mean, everybody hates rejection, but I think it for a perfectionist, uh, a person who focuses on working hard and thinking through every stinking detail. You know, going through an interview process. When they slam the door or even casually shut the door on the uh, process, it hurts. It's hard. It's hard to hear that no when you do strive to uh, present yourself well and put you know your best self forward. And then someone decides, no, we don't we don't want to keep going. We've decided to end the process. And so one of the skills I learned from, a mentor in the past, and it's a great one which I'm sharing with you, those of you who are applying for any job. If you ever get turned down, I encourage you always to respond to that email or phone call. Uh, Even writing a personal note, sending something in the physical mail is a great way to do this as well. But always respond to the no with a, uh, how can I improve? How can I learn from this? And so, you know, a lot of times you you do that and they don't respond or they respond with something very casual. 
But occasionally, just like in the situation I'm going to share with you, you get a huge response. Like I had a, you know, multi-paragraph email response uh, as to why I didn't continue in the process. And it's uh, it's always a very hard thing to do again to see what they respond with, hear what the issues were. But again, sometimes those are things that you can learn from uh, for the next interview or the next job that you're applying for. So I think it's a great skill. I highly recommend that you at least try to get feedback when you get a no from a job. And so that's that's what happened here. I did get feedback from the guy that I would be working under, someone who, you know, was leading the interview process. And so here's what his uh, feedback was for me. I'm going to read a paragraph. Again, this was probably five paragraphs. So there were, this wasn't the only thing, but it was one of the larger paragraphs. And so to me, I guess the number of words leads me to believe that it was more significant. Maybe not, but they chose to give a little bit more meat on the bone here, if you will. So I'll read to you this paragraph. Here, here's what this guy said in the email. He said, the clothing you have worn to each of our meetings slash interviews and the clothing I've seen you wear to church suggests that if we hired you, we would have to work on a significant makeover to be presentable, which is a pretty broad standard I know. But my greater concern is what how you... I think he miswrote this sentence, but I'm going to try to correct it. My greater concern is what how you dress, how you dress says about your ability to perceive how others see or perceive you. Again, I'm not trying to be hurtful. Ultimately, I realize it's how you are seen in God's eyes only that matters. But I am also charged to try and find and hire those who not only meet our expectations, but exceed them as much as possible. Now, what do you think about that? Now, I wish if I was sitting across from you, I'm assuming I would have a strong reaction. And I'm only saying that because the few people I have a, a core group of mentors and friends that I shared this email with, again, to get feedback about the feedback. I mean, that's just the kind of guy I am. I'm like, I want to hear from other people because I'll tell you how it made me feel uh, is it stirred up some crap, you know, and it, it, it my response was one of anger and hurt, um, which I get, you know, it's connected with being rejected and not getting this job and all that stuff. So there's a lot of emotion involved in that. But almost to a person, they were pretty frustrated that this is uh, this is part of that response. And so it begs the question, how much does image matter to a church to us that call ourselves believers, you know, how much does image matter? Should it matter at all? And, and I will preface this, you know, if you go back and read this paragraph, those of you who've never met me in person, you may read that and you think, geez, Kurt, what, what did you show up in? Were you wearing a tank top and flip flops? Like, I feel like when you read that, not knowing me, you could, again, fill in the blank that, yeah, Kurt was dressed like a tool and didn't uh, didn't have any EQ, emotional intelligence to know he should dress up for the interview. And so I think that I will just tell you that I felt like I dressed uh, up. I think that I dressed differently than I typically do. 
And he also mentioned seeing me in church. So it's not just the interview outfits, but it's also what I wore to church. And, and the irony is the church that, um, that I tried to get the job at, like all the churches pretty much that I've worked at and attended, had a very laid back dress code. Like, I mean, this isn't like a church that everybody on stage wears suits and ties and I showed up in a, you know, a t-shirt or something. So it's again, I'm giving you painting the picture that it is a very laid back, you know, casual environment, but I still wore a shirt, button down shirt and khaki pants and, you know, what I felt was clean, nice looking shoes. I don't know. Um, and so it's just interesting and was very interesting to those that I shared it with that they would be so focused on image. And where I'm going to go with this, again, kind of turning a corner here is I do think image matters. And the reason why is because, of course, you go to the extreme again of somebody wearing a tank top to work or somebody wearing, I don't know, short shorts. I mean, there, there's always an extreme example that we can't say that image doesn't matter at all. Image, unfortunately, does matter because people make quick snap judgments. It's just reality, right? This is an example for me about tattoos, right? So I have a tattoo. But when I chose to get a tattoo, I was very mindful that even though I am pro tattoos and much of my friends are pro tattoos, the world at large still has countless ideas about tattoos. And so it was important to me when I got one that I could completely conceal it uh, with my the clothes that I wear. So I have a tattoo on my right arm, upper right arm. And it was intentional that even wearing a short sleeve shirt, you're not going to see the tattoo. And so for me, again, no judgment on people who've chosen to do otherwise. I'm saying for the career path that I'm on, for the image that I want to present, I don't want to put an obstacle in the path. So when I am wearing a shirt, I don't want people to see my tattoo because for some still in our culture, that is a strike against you. That creates all sorts of... Uh, mental baggage, if you will, for some people, like my grandma would freak out <laughs> if she saw any any style of tattoo. So again, hear what I'm saying. I think in certain situations, image matters. We should be thoughtful how we present ourselves, especially in an interview setting, right? The old adage is you should dress, uh, I've been taught, you should dress a level above the audience that you're going to work with. So if, if you're going to work with teens, you shouldn't dress like a teen. You should dress a level above that. If you're going to be at a, a country club giving a speech, you know, you should dress appropriately. You know, think about and be cognizant of the environment in which you show up to and dress to that or better than that, if that makes sense. And so that's for better or for worse kind of the the rubric that I had been operating from. Now, I will say in humility, looking back on what I wore, you know, because I have obviously, because I'm an analyzer, I went back and I I analyzed what did I wear to those interviews? What, How did I present myself, right? And this is in a cold environment. So you're wearing a big, you know, cold jacket and uh, a warm jacket, that kind of thing. Uh, shoes, you know, you think about the shoes you were wearing. Like, I mean, I analyzed this thing to a T. And I think a lot of what this person was saying 
was I remember that I at times um, wore sweatpants. So I was just super casual, you know, in the afternoon working out or whatever doing. And I would go to church wearing gray sweatpants. You know, that's again, very, especially the younger culture. There is uh, a lot of people wearing those. Now, I think it's fashionable in a lot of environments to to wear those kind of, you know, Nike sweatpants, joggers, whatever you want to call them. But again, that probably wasn't a good image to be presenting to the hiring manager because I probably wouldn't see him or the senior pastor in those sorts of uh, those sorts of pants. And so for me, when I think of this issue of image, and now speaking more broadly, so stepping away from an interview setting and just how we present ourselves to the world, I think it has to come down to motives, right? Are we trying to be flashy or popular? I mean, why? Why, why are you being flashy? Why are you trying to be popular with what you're wearing? And I always teach students, you know, what are you selling? Because a lot of times what students wear and the way that they present themselves they're selling something, again, using a metaphor, they're selling something that they're unaware of or that they're not willing to, to sell. And I think that that is a really important thing we should think about when we are presenting ourselves to the world. What are we communicating through what we are wearing? How are people going to perceive what we are uh, presenting through our image? And again, there are extremes here on both sides. You can be super flashy and all about your looks. And then the other extreme, which I think for a lot of my life as, again, a youth pastor, I was pretty laid back. You know, it was it was a function over form. You know, it was like it was not so much about how good I looked as much as I just felt comfortable wearing a T-shirt and jeans or, you know, certain kind of shoes that just were comfortable walking in. I wasn't really thinking about uh, how I looked. And that is something that I should be mentally aware of. And that's going back to that paragraph from that guy's response. Uh, he talked about me being unaware of how I perceived others to see me, you know, that he, he seemed like it seemed from his perspective that there was a disconnect with how I was seeing myself and how I thought others were going to see me. And so again, flashy, popular, maybe overdoing it, that sort of thing. I think sometimes with people like that, it is about overcoming some unresolved insecurities. I mean, we've all met people who don't have much character depth, so they put all of their focus on their exterior. A lot of times those flashy, loud-dressed people are just insecure on the core. Uh, or maybe the opposite, you know, I kind of hear that teeter-totter again. So maybe somebody who's super flashy or somebody who's really got their fashion sense dialed in is actually very confident. Maybe it's a sign of their confidence and their self-esteem is healthy. They don't really care what people think as much as they just feel confident wearing things that you and I maybe wouldn't feel confident in. So that can get kind of, uh, kind of unique. But we've all met, I think most of us have met people who are overly focused on their image. And unfortunately, when you have a conversation with them, it's hard. It's challenging to go very deep because they're very surfacey and much of their life they've been praised and focused on the external versus any sort of 
uh, internal thing. And so as I mentioned at the start, this started from a quote, which I'm about to share with you from a guy on, uh, ultimately he's on Twitter, but he also had an Instagram where this post was shared and I saw it and it just, it's one of those things that just instantly uh, resonated. It challenged me, it checked me a bit, if you will, I think in a good way. And then I want to read a, a few verses as well and kind of just land this plane. But this is a guy, Stephen Bartlett, uh, said this on Instagram. It says, The most convincing sign that someone is truly living their best life is their lack of desire to show the world that they're living their best life. Your best life won't seek validation. Your best life won't seek validation. And so connecting it today with this idea of image, are we seeking validation by what we wear? How skinny our waistline is? Or what version of phone we have? I mean, it's also good to consider whose attention are we ultimately seeking? Who are we wanting validation from? I think, you know, the goal from a secular perspective, if we're talking about Dr. Phil or, you know, you name some sort of counselor or psychiatrist in our world, the goal from their perspective is to have strong self-esteem, to know who you are and be all right with someone not liking you. That The world's perspective is you should be you, man. Live your best life. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. But as this quote saying from this guy's Instagram, you know, sometimes people are seeking validation through their Instagram posts, through their style. They're just constantly looking for people to comment on, oh, my gosh, your hair. Oh, my goodness, that new outfit. Oh, your nails or whatever. I don't know. But they're always seeking to be validated by others. And it's focused primarily on on our image and and their self-esteem, our, our self-esteem can be so filled up through the validation of others. But as believers, I think, and I've taught this again many times, many years over, is that we should have a different kind of esteem as believers, right? It's 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 not from within ultimately, it's actually from without. It's from a place outside of us. It's all about having God esteem. Instead of it being centered in ourself, which can be so emotion-driven and so fragile and changing like the weather, our esteem, how we feel, our worth, our value should not be based on what you think about yourself or, as we've said, others think about you, but it's knowing whose you are. Instead of thinking and arriving at a place where you think you're all that in a bag of chips and, and you're super confident, it's being confident in who God says that you are. So our value comes directly from our creator, and I would argue this comes out through our image for better or for worse. I want to say that again. Our value comes directly from our creator, and I would argue this comes out, that value, wherever it's coming from, comes out through our image for better or for worse. And that's where I'm saying, and I hope you're, you're not being challenged here or getting frustrated. I'm not saying 
that we should be dressed like, you know, not dressed nicely. Like there is supposed to be a reflection. There will be, I should say, forget the, what I previously said. It's not, it's not that there should be, there will be a representation in our image, our image and how we present ourselves to the world will reflect. Do we have strong self-esteem or low self-esteem? Do we have low self-worth or a high self-worth? And what I'm pushing us to, to do and what I'm challenging is to do neither of those, but have our esteem, our value placed solely from God. And that will come out in our image and hopefully in a good way. I want to read to you a verse that I think really, really connects with this. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, verses three through four. You may have heard this verse, but maybe with this conversation, it'll really highlight something. And it says this, it says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I mean, man, if there was a more powerful verse to just say in such a better way, it's not about the adorning or or putting on the external and trying to be this flashy, you know, braiding of hair, gold jewelry, all this clothing, right? It should be the inner stuff, the, the, the person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. And then I want to add to that Psalm 139 verses 13 through 14. Again, great Psalms, great Psalm. If you haven't read it, Psalm 139, David speaking, and he says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And that's where I want us to to end is with that question. David says, David came to the place where he said, my soul knows it very well. He knows, he knows that all this image, his image, all this connection to his um, feelings about himself came from what? Not inside. He says in the second part of the verse, I praise you. I praise you, God, pointing upward away from himself, outside of himself. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, not my works. It's not about me cleaning up myself and looking a certain way and following a certain uh, book on how to look. It's from God, and he knows that. My soul knows very well. And so my question for you, do you know that very well? Do you know that your value, your worth, all that stuff comes from God? Do you know that you can find confidence and peace and satisfaction from God? Even if your friends, your family, your whole neighborhood, the media, whatever, if, if that's you, you lose a job over it, whatever, you know, like at the end of the day, do you still know, do you know, do you know, do you know very well that God's the one who made you fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have value even if no one else recognizes it. 
That to me, friends, is extremely powerful truth, and I hope that you're encouraged by that. I hope that some of you who got into this discussion and felt like, wow, where is this going to go about image? Uh, I hope that you felt like God used it uh, in your heart just to encourage you today, to encourage us a little bit further on the journey of becoming more like Christ. And just like that, another episode is in the books. Episode 28 has come to an end. I know, you're sad, I'm sad, that's okay, because there are more episodes ahead, ladies and gentlemen. We will have more in the future. If you like what you heard today, though, be sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. As always, we hope you enjoyed this and all of our episodes on the Cultured Christian Podcast. Please join the conversation over on our Reddit. Also, like and interact with us on our Instagram and Facebook page. Lastly, if you have feedback or topic ideas, email us at culturedchristians at gmail.com. We look forward to seeing you in the next one.